As we come to the part of uh, our service where we tend to focus on the story of God, I remind you that all of you are welcome, and all of you is welcome. God welcomes you here today to receive his truth, his love, and may the words that we share in this story guide and point you towards him. The story for me begins today as I reflect on the fact that this summer I traveled through Ireland. I had a chance to visit the believed burial space of St. Patrick. Uh, This is Down Cathedral, just a little south of Belfast. And it's on top of a hill or a down, and it's believed that this is where St. Patrick was finally buried. Here's a view from the side of the church. Uh, You can see this... uh, this is a little graveyard. Uh, that stone is uh, a stone to Patrick. And it's not necessarily that he's buried under that stone. It's just saying, we believe this hill is the spot where he was buried. That was put there in the 19th century to kind of commemorate that. Um, this is where we believe that Patrick used to eat every day. Um, <laughs> he really liked uh, the gluten-free subs for some reason. Uh, just kidding. Back to Patrick for a second. Um, so here's another look at this. This is kind of interesting. There's a little uh, marker here telling a little about St. Patrick's life. And there's this, this uh, uh, stone that tells the life of Patrick. Why is Patrick so important to Ireland? Well, I'd even argue that he's crucial to Christianity in general. But one of the things is when you begin to understand his story. Patrick grew up uh, in the 5th century as a Roman citizen living in uh, Great Britain. He was a little bit upper class. His father was a tax collector. Now, it may surprise you to see that from the time of Jesus, we all know how people thought about tax collectors. They hated them. They were traitors. And uh, one of the downsides of being a tax collector is if you had a son, guess what his job was going to be? A tax collector. And so you had to follow in your father's footsteps. And there must have been this horrific moment in a young boy's life when they look and they realize, gosh, all my kids hate my dad. All my kids' friends hate my dad. And one day I'm going to grow up and I'm going to be doing that too. He rejected that. And he also rejected kind of the faith that his parents had in this thing called God. One day he happened to be kidnapped. He was kidnapped by a marauding band of Irish pirates. They had come across the ocean looking for slaves and they found one in Patrick. They drew him back and sold him into slavery into what was a very pagan place. It's a place where they would worship nature, where they would sacrifice humans, where they were filled with violence and oppressions and clans and feudal warfares. And so into all this, Patrick was enslaved for six years. While he was in slavery, as horrific as his experience was, there were some moments where he began to think that maybe he could look back to the faith of his father. And through This constant prayer and calling out to God, he really came to a faith in Christ. It was about six years into his uh, slavery when he felt like he actually heard the audible voice of God saying, now is the time for your escape. Go, your ship is waiting. And he acted on it. And he found a way to slip out of his bonds and he made his way through crowded areas down to this uh, port and was able to get on the ship and they lo and behold were able to bring him back home and and through a lot of yada 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 he gets back home to his family oh they're so glad to have him back until they find out that he's changed because something had happened to him in his captivity this faith of coming back to christ he could not stop thinking about his former slave masters 
he felt that even though they were his captors, they were the ones that really were in spiritual captivity and darkness. And something in him was calling him, sending him back home. He called it the voice of the Irish, that every night he'd go to sleep and he'd try to block it out. And he heard the voice of the Irish saying, come back to us, Patrick, save us. And so he returned to the land of his enslavement with a mission to set people free. He was going to bring this faith of Christ to this unruly, undisciplined pagan island. And he was opposed by clan leaders and tribe leaders. He was even opposed by many in his own religious system that were saying, why would you go to the barbarians? Why would you go to them? They're not even really human. But he kept bringing the gospel. Now, what's interesting about Patrick is sometimes our heroes get a little larger in life, and you've probably heard things about Patrick uh, driving out snakes and uh, drinking green beer or uh, all these crazy things that he could do. Um, and in reality, he was just like us. He struggled with, am I, am I the man for this job? Couldn't God have sent somebody better? After all, I wasn't trained and educated in the way that some of these guys were. I mean, while they were in school learning, I was, you know, working as a slave. He was prone to fits of anger. And he really wrestled with the question, who am I? I'm just an ordinary man. Yet through one ordinary man's faith and action, we can see a spot where he founded the very first church in Ireland. On this site in Saul. That in the distance is not the church. That's a, a building that's been built there ever and since, so... But this is a spot, it's just kind of the thought of uh, a man who came back to his captors and, and began to lead them to spiritual freedom, and from this spreads and spreads and spreads, and millions have made the journey from spiritual slavery to find home in Christ. God used one man to deliver a nation, and then a world. Now who does this guy remind us of as we've been in this story in the book of Exodus? like Moses, right? We're studying this book of Exodus. We're visiting one of the most epic movements of human history where several million Jews were led out of physical captivity in Egypt to a new home. And Moses was this man who had already escaped all that. And he's like, I'm out. I don't want to have anything to do with those. And for 40 years, he was off and alone. And yet he heard a voice that said, you need to go back to Egypt and get my people. The voice of the Hebrews. From this book, we're trying to, to draw parallels for our lives today. We, we are reminded this book t- teaches us that God wants to lead people out of physical slavery. When, he sees, when we see people that are being abused or oppressed or in poverty or in hunger or being trafficked, and we say, I hate that, that's not right, God in the book of Exodus is saying, you're right, I hate that too, let's do something. But we also believe that God wants to deliver people out of spiritual slavery, out of the sin and out of our idolatry and out of our, uh, the lies that hold us back from being who we truly were created to be, that he wants to bring us home. And so kind of the thought of uh, the book that we're playing with is that God sends Moses to deliver people, and God uses this deliverance to also deliver Moses. He cares about both. So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to that book of Exodus. We're going to keep in this story. Chapter 5. I actually want to go back to where Kyle was last week in chapter 5 because it's going to propel into the story that we're in today. It's Genesis and then Exodus. I want to remind you of what's been happening. So, so fast forward, we know about the call of Moses, and now he was told to go to Pharaoh. Kyle walked us through that first meeting. If you recall, they walked up to Pharaoh, and they're like, Pharaoh, let the Hebrews go. How did that go? Real good? Real, no, it was horrible. 
Not only did Pharaoh say, well, uh, not only am I not going to let the Hebrews go, but I'm about to make things worse. You thought oppression was bad before? Wait till I turn up the heat. I'm going to take away some of their raw materials. I'm going to increase their production expectations. I'm going to make it worse for them. Beatings are going to increase until morale is improved. That's the philosophy of Pharaoh. So Moses and Aaron, remember, they were just there trying to help. And they walk out of this chamber, out of this court place of Pharaoh, and who do they come upon but a group of Hebrew leaders who look at them, and do they say, thanks for trying. Hey, you gave it a good old Moses try. We really appreciate that. No, they start cursing at him. Moses and Aaron, we curse you. We, why don't you just die? All you've done is make things worse for us. Have you ever been in a situation where you were just honestly trying to do something right, and it seems to everyone else that you made it worse? Have you? I was in a Costco parking lot a few weeks ago. I saw this man was uh, backing up, and his, this, there was a cart right there, and he was going to be scraping it. So I ran over to the cart, and I grabbed the cart to pull it out of the way. He turns over and, and looks over the, the, the back air, and he starts pointing at me and yelling, No, 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 no. And I was like, No, yeah, I've, I've got it. It's, it's right here. I don't know if he thought I was doing something. And so he starts, then he rolls down his window, and he goes, No, that cart is for her. And I turn around, and there's, I'm sure there's this woman with a clicker on, and she's getting ready to turn in. And clearly they had had some kind of conversation or treaty worked out where she was going to inherit this cart after he left. Um, because carts at Costco are so hard to come by. And then, so it dawned on me, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not trying to steal this cart. I'm just moving this cart out of the way so you don't scratch it with your car. And I'll never forget he looks at me over his shoulder and he does this. Gah! <laughs> and then he, and he waves me off and then he backs out the car and drives off. And I'm standing there with this cart. And I go over to the lady and I'm like, I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know this was your cart. It's a, it's a really important cart. She's like, well, you could just put it over there and I'll get it when I get it. Okay, I'll just move it over here. So now I'm, my new job. <laughs> Walking out the parking lot. Now, I am not comparing... My deliverance of this man from a shopping cart scratch with the deliverance of God's people from Egypt. I'm resonating with what I hope is a common sense that sometimes we step in to do what is right and it just goes wrong. I hate that. I really hate being misrepresented. The entire ride home from Costco, and Jessica can attest, I, I was running through scenarios in my mind of what I wish I had said. I wish I could find that guy. Uh, <laughs> And, and we could sit down and we'd have this great moment and we'd work it out of, you know, I, the guy that stole his thing. I bet all of us have those times. You tried to do right and went wrong. It might be something as small as a parking lot or maybe you're letting someone in in traffic and they misread it. But what about when it's a marriage and you've been trying and trying and trying? Or a season of parenting? Or maybe you said yes to some faith venture, some missional opportunity, and you say, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. I'm going to step into that, and it crashes or fails or burns. You did what was right. Why did it turn out wrong? Do you think Moses felt like that? Near the end of chapter 5, we hear uh, Moses come back to God. So he's just walked through this, this uh, collection of Hebrew leaders yelling at him and everything. Okay, and he gets back here to God. Verse 22, Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord, have you brought trouble on these people? You brought trouble. Is that why you sent me? 
Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble on this people, and you have not rescued your people at all. These are harsh words to say to God. We sang a song earlier today that is a fantastic song, that song, Do It Again. And I, there's that part, I'm like, yes, Lord, do it. You know, you've done it before, do it again. There's a line in that song that I really am wrestling with right now. And the line is, you've never failed me yet. I don't know how comfortable I am with that line. Now, before you freak out, I, theologically, yes, I'll check that box, box A. Yes, God has never failed me yet, theology intact. But if you're going to be in my heart for a minute, there are a number of times I feel like God has failed me. Especially when I look outside of my life. I spent last week in a situation where, with a, a couple where I'm just watching and thinking, God, when are you going to step in and rescue this? She's doing right. Or I think about some other stories that we may be protected from most of the time here living in America, and we begin to surface these stories, and you're wondering, God, are you failing people? I know he's not, but it feels like he is. And something that begins to help me kind of put those two together is I think something that's happening in this passage, and that is that God is saying, look, I may look like I'm failing at this, but it's only because I'm actually doing this. See, look at the end of chapter 6. After this conversation of doubt and worry, God comes back to Moses and says, okay, I want you to go back to Pharaoh. Now, when the Lord spoke to Moses in Egypt, he said to him, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, everything I tell you. But Moses said to the Lord, since I speak with faltering lips, why would Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, okay, I'll make you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron will be your prophet. See, normally how it worked is there was one God, God, God would pick a prophet like Moses, and then Moses would go and say, hey, I'm just going to tell you what God said. But what he's saying here is, okay, I'm going to, in this situation, I'm going to move everyone up one pay grade. Moses, you get to be God. Aaron gets to be your prophet. I'll stand up here as uh, God emeritus in this sense. But what I'm saying to you is, is that Pharaoh is going to treat you and respond to you the way he would respond if I was physically standing there. How's that for some power and weight? Okay. You're going to say everything I command you. Your brother Aaron's going to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. Great. Now, this has got to be a giant confident boost for Moses. Okay. I'm going in kind of as, I'm going in as God, God's presence. But then God drops this in verse 3. Oh, by the way, I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. So just to clarify, Moses, you're going to go and do what is right, and it is going to go wrong. Moses, I, God, am setting you up for failure. A lot of people struggle with this passage here. I, I do too. It, it's hard to think that he would harden Pharaoh's heart. Wouldn't it be a greater story if it just said, and I will soften Pharaoh's heart, and even though I'm going to do all this stuff, he is finally going to give in and listen to you. If that was what he said, as Moses, I'd be like, okay. So he may say no at first, but eventually he's going to give in. Great. Instead, God takes a hard, arrogant, resistant heart and goads that heart to resist even more. Why? It doesn't seem fair to Pharaoh. 
Well, I want to remind you of something. If you remember last week when Kai was talking, the first time that Aaron and Moses came up to Pharaoh and were saying, let our people go, Pharaoh had one question. Do you remember what his question was? Who, who is the Lord? You guys are saying the Lord says let people go. Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord and I will not let Israel go. Now this is not an example of Pharaoh being ignorant. He's not saying I've never heard of the Lord. No, no, no. This is an example of Pharaoh realizing uh, and acting in this culture, Pharaoh is God. Pharaoh is the Lord. We're going to sing songs, great is Pharaoh. We're going to talk about him. We're going to bow when he comes by. If his shadow falls on us, we're going to move out of the way. It's Pharaoh is the Lord. Everywhere Pharaoh can look from his palace, every inch of sand he can see is under his domain and reign. Who is the child of the son? Pharaoh. If you were going to swear an oath, you'd swear it by Pharaoh. Why did we build these pyramids? Pharaoh. Why do we go to war? Pharaoh. Why does the mighty Nile flow? Because Pharaoh has commanded it. That's how they believe. Pharaoh's a god. And one thing that's true about gods, they don't like to take orders. So what he's saying here is not an ignorant question. Well, who is the Lord? He is saying, okay, I know who I am. I'm God, and everyone does everything I say. So why should I give authority or respond to some Lord out there? I don't know who he is. What has he ever done? Now, if God's goal was just to deliver his people, what, this, listen, if God's goal was, I just want to get my people out of Egypt, then the verse would have said, God softened his heart. But what if God had something much bigger in mind than an exodus? What if he had an announcement? You see, when we get to verse 4, we understand this is what God's plan was all along. I will lay my hand on Egypt, <clears throat> and with mighty acts of judgment, I will bring out my divisions, my people, the Israelites. And then what does it say? And the Egyptians will know what? Oh. When will they know that? When I stretch out my hand against Egypt to bring the Israelites out of it. Now we see the breadth of God's plan. Moses was failing at this plan of God, and he didn't realize it was a small part of this plan of God. What is this plan of God? He didn't just want his people know, to know that he was God. He wanted their captors to know that he was God. In fact, he wanted the story to get out from ages and thousands of years hence who really is the Lord. The goal was the glory. God's goal was to make sure that everyone everywhere was alerted to the reign of God. He's answering Pharaoh's question. Pharaoh might have been asking that question sarcastically, but God says, oh, I am going to give you an answer for the ages. And here's the deal. If Pharaoh and Moses had worked out some backroom deal to let the, 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 the Hebrews go, who would have gotten the glory for that? Moses. Maybe Pharaoh. Hey, you know, I heard this story. All the, all the Hebrews are about to leave. Yeah, this guy named Moses, he must be a great negotiator. Uh, maybe he offered some kind of treaty or peace deal. Or maybe Pharaoh is just a, gen a generous, benevolent guy. But for whatever reason, Pharaoh and Moses, you know, we're going to put a statue up of them, shaking hands, and it's going to be great. And we're always going to be thankful for that. That's who would get the glory. But when you have God who says, I'm going to lay my hand on top of a defiant dictator, and I'm going to bring shock, and I'm going to bring awe, and I'm going to bring signs, and I'm going to bring wonders, and I'm going to break the will of this man. 
Everyone everywhere is going to be alerted to the fact, who is the Lord? He's the one that beat Pharaoh. We're going to see next week that one of these signs and wonders would set the stage for the arrival of Jesus Christ and the greatest deliverance the world has ever known. But here's what I think. When I, when I read the thing about the, the hardening of heart, I think God was letting Moses fail at changing Pharaoh's mind so he could accomplish a bigger plan of breaking the will of a nation because he cared about those Egyptians and he wanted them to see their only hope was the God of Israel. Let me pause here and ask this for a, a, a second. I want to give you a, a second maybe just to really think about this question. Where have you been doing right and it's going wrong? And what is God bringing to your mind right now? Is, is it a face of a person? A spouse? A son? Is it a situation at work? Is it a health situation where you are taking every pill and doing every exercise and following every diet and it's going wrong? What is God saying to you right now about this? The question could be, has there ever been a moment before this that you've actually invited God into that situation? For some of you, you may say, I've never invited him into that situation. And some of you might say, I've been talking to him about this for 20 years. Where have you been doing right? And it's going wrong. So Pharaoh asks, who is the Lord? And God's answer to this question involves two washed up 80-year-olds and a couple of sticks. Verse 6, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded them. Moses was 80 years old and Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Man, it must have been hard to walk back in that room when you know it's going to fail. There wasn't the, well, I really hope so. No, it's this thought that I'm going to go in there and lay it out of the line and it's going to fail. And last time I went in there, he made things worse. What's he going to do now? It's an act of courage. So listen to how the second meeting goes. In verse 8, the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, When Pharaoh says to you, perform a miracle, say to Aaron, take your staff and throw it down before Pharaoh, and it will become a snake. Now, we know this miracle before. This was the party trick that God gave to Moses at the burning bush. Remember when Jonathan was talking about that, and and, and Moses has his staff in his hand, and God says, what's in your hand? What? It's a snake. Ah. There's part of me that thinks that uh, Moses, maybe that was a little surprising and shocking to him. So I just wonder if this time Moses is like, hey, that snake trick's awesome. One tweak. Um, Aaron does it this time. Just maybe try that. So Aaron's going to throw the staff down because he's now the, 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 the prophet. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron threw the staff down in front of the Pharaoh and his officials, and it became a snake. Now, this word snake is actually a different word than the word we saw earlier when Moses had a staff in his hand. It's kind of like Moses had this small stick or rod that was kind of a shepherd's crook thing, and it turned. But this word for snake is uh, uh, a word that sometimes means crocodile or large cobra. This is a bigger stick. I don't know which one it is. We do know that in Egyptian culture, they valued, worshipped crocodiles and cobras. And so maybe this is God kind of tweaking that... uh, at uh, Pharaoh using his own uh, devices here. But this is the big moment, right? This is going to be the thing that's going to convince Pharaoh. So uh, will we let our people go? No. Okay, Aaron, do it. Aaron takes a staff. Watch this. 
ta-da, crocodile on the ground. How does Pharaoh respond? That's a pretty good trick. Verse 11. Then he summed his wise men and sorcerers, and the Egyptian magicians also did the same things with their secret arts. Each one threw down a staff, and it became a snake. What a humiliating moment. You had this great trick that you'd worked on. Have you ever done this? Maybe you worked on some cute little party trick, the thing where you'd pull the quarter from behind a kid's ear, and you're like, hey, this is a great trick. And you show up at a party, and then people are sawing people in half. And you're like, oh, I mean, the, the coin trick was good, but not now. They've just gotten shown up in front of these guys. I don't know how they did it. I don't know if this was a trick or an illusion. Maybe it was some kind of dark magic. I've heard uh, one person said that the snakes maybe were poisoned and drugged and so that when they threw them on the ground, they kind of woke up and started moving. I don't know. But all I know is this. Pharaoh's tricks were much more impressive than Aaron's trick. Anything your God can do, my God can do better. Then you read this one little line. I don't know what it means, but Verse 12, but Aaron's staff swallowed up their staffs. That was a little unexpected. I don't think Pharaoh was expecting that. And I think there's going to be a conversation later with Pharaoh and his magicians where he says, hey, that was great where you threw the six down, but where did they all go? We don't know. Maybe a little foretaste of what's to come. If truly God is kind of saying, oh, you, you guys worship snakes, uh, I got a crocodile. But here's the bottom line. Yet Pharaoh's heart became hard and he would not listen to them just as the Lord had said. Pharaoh's sitting here going, what can your God do that I cannot do? Uh, why would I listen to the Lord and obey him? You haven't given me one reason to obey your God. And Moses is thinking, how about 10? That's next week. But what do we take away from Moses' experience here? He's gone twice now and he's failed twice now to do the thing he was being asked to do. He did the right thing, and he got it wrong. It went wrong. He immediately, immediately obeyed God the first time. Pharaoh makes slavery worse. He immediately obeys God the second time. Pharaoh's heart gets even harder. Moses might be going through something that one author has referred to as the discipline of failure. Say that phrase with me. The discipline of failure. This thought that maybe there are some times that God wants to do something in us that's going to require our failure as part of the discipline of learning to trust him and go where he's taking us. Forty years ago, Moses knew what I had to do. Hey, I'm going to, let, I'm going to rise up. I'm going to free all my people. And so he started with one punch that ended him running for 40 years. This time around, Moses is learning something about him and about God and about the fact that God is going to be doing something bigger than just freeing people. So even though he immediately obeyed, it didn't work. And I, I want to throw something out to you. This is a simple equation. I know you know this, but maybe sometimes we fall back into thinking it. The simple equation is this. Immediate obedience does not equal immediate results. I know you know this, but sometimes we act like when we talk about faith and stuff, that this is the way it works. And so, oh, you train up your child in the way they should go. When they get older, they will follow God. Immediately. I'm faithful in my marriage and my spouse will be true to me. I serve God, and I, therefore I'm not going to lose anyone I love. Well, I stand for this truth and I'll be recognized and blessed for it. I, I'm faithful in my work, my job will be secure. I'm going to give generously to this thing and God will take care of me financially. This trade that's going on. And the truth is, you can be doing something right and not get the results. And even sometimes things get worse. 
Sometimes people curse you in a Costco parking lot or they curse you as you're coming out of Pharaoh's chambers. Sometimes you go in armed with God's promises and you're like, okay, this promise has got what God gave me. Here it is. Boom. Ta-da. And then it fails. So why do you do what's right? If immediate obedience doesn't always equal immediate results, why do we do something right? I want to go back to again. Because we begin to believe by faith that God is doing something bigger. That the story is bigger than just this thing. He's working towards the renewal of all things. God doesn't want to deliver just a few Egypt, uh, Hebrews. He wants to deliver this universe from groaning and suffering. And like Moses, it may be that God is calling you to an act of courage to do what is right, even when you know it's going to go wrong. Because whenever we step up and do what is right, it's because we are saying we believe that God, not Pharaoh, reigns. It believes that we're trying to answer this question for this world. Who is the Lord? It is, I am the Lord. God had compassion on his people and he wanted to deliver them. God had compassion on Moses. He wanted to redeem him. God had compassion on those Egyptians. He wanted them to know who he was. And God had compassion in this moment on the billions yet to be born that he would die for. Because Jesus is our exodus. And just like a young Patrick from Ireland could not know God's bigger plans, he, he had no idea the, the scope of where six years of slavery would end up. We often can't see the bigger story. But we do remember this. We serve the God who not only lets his son run off to the big city, but funded the trip. Because he believed in a bigger story. So great men and women of God, I, I, just, I call you to whatever this thing is that God's speaking to you about today. Do the right thing because it displays we believe in a king who is coming to set everything right, even though we may not see it immediately. I read a quote by Reinhold uh, Niebuhr, I think is how you say his name, and he just said, the, the tasks we are called to exceed our lifetimes. Therefore, we are saved by hope. Isn't that good? The tasks we are called to exceed, what, what God is calling us to do is not something that we accomplish in a weekend as we get together and go serve or in a couple of Sundays a month. It is a lifetime call and we continue to be faithful and we are a part of this thing that God is doing. Because our God reigns and Jesus is our exodus. So I close with this, uh, that question to revisit. Where is it that you've been doing right and it's going wrong? Maybe you feel like quitting. Maybe you feel like giving up. Maybe you feel like God has failed you. Could it be God is working on something in you? Or maybe he's working on something that you can't even see yet. Let me give you this blessing to hold on to this week from the words of Hebrews. Don't throw away your confidence. It carries a great reward what you need is patience, you see. Then when you've done what God wants, you will receive the promise. We are saved by hope. And so as I prepare to pray, I just want to say that to you and to say, God sees your work. He sees you walking in to Pharaoh's chambers armed with only that staff. He knows you're going to sow in tears before you reap in joy. Don't take the lack of response as a sign that you're off track. Hang on to the promise God gave you. Keep doing right. You won't see wrong forever. Pray with me.
God, thank you for giving us a Savior who said that because of the joy he saw on the other side, he endured the cross. I pray this morning for courage in our, our hearts. I pray for continued promise. I pray for the person who's going to give it one more shot. God, give us courage. Give us hope that what you're working on is so much bigger than we could see. Amen.